Oh, that theme song. That theme song. Bill, remember when we recorded that, huh? Remember when we recorded Put on a Stack of 45s? I do. I do. We're in that. And, and every time I, I, I can't, every time I listen to it, I just enjoy it. And uh, I hear Terry singing that high part, and I go, God, she was good. Terry was a good singer, and she was a good friend. She slept with both of us. And she, she, we recorded. Sort of. Sort of. Sort of. And she. she <laughs> and um, we recorded that in the living room of our apartment on Kingsbridge Road in the Bronx, 1974, 75, 1975. Uh, 75, I believe. Yes. I graduated in 75. I graduated in uh, May of 1975, and I moved in with you shortly thereafter. And, man, we spent nights after night after night with that little... It was a TIAC recorder, right? It was a TIAC. TIAC, yeah. Real to real. I had worked at Sam Goody's and got a deal on one of those newfangled stereo TIACs. And that thing... We listened to that recording. That recording sounds pretty good. That was recorded. It sounds damn good. And uh, that three-part harmony is like solid, baby. And she's she's great. She she's really great. adds a lot. And this is not real to real, ladies and gentlemen. This was on an actual cassette, and you don't the hiss is not there. It's it's pretty fabulous what uh, technology there was available at that particular time. We think- I knew the song was good, but you know it. it uh, it sustains me. Yes, it stands up. It stands up. And I think that uh, that overdue single on vinyl might, might have to come to fruition. Especially, That'd be cool. I, it's really nice to start off this podcast with it. Yeah, every time I hear it, it just takes me back. I remember I, I, it is indelible. I remember the moment that, we, that I pressed the button and how many takes we took. And it didn't take us many takes, but I remember how everything in the room looked and how the room sounded pretty good acoustics for a little apartment in the Bronx. Now, we never played out anywhere. No, we never played out anywhere. Uh, we never performed anywhere. Um, and our collaboration with Terry was short-lived. But um, th- we did that recording i don't know how many other recordings we made do you remember oh we made a number of them i mean i've got cassette after cassette um hung on well send me send me some well, of that stuff i sent you a great deal i'd love to hear it i sent you um uh hung on you a long time ago where terry does yeah but harmony with you oh okay yeah and um a couple of other pieces there were some things that were lost in a flood. I moved to Yonkers, New York. Everything was stored in a basement, and there was a flood after a horrific storm and lost so many cassettes, including you and I, John Simons, and Sam Mandalis in your bedroom in Queens with John on the fiddle, Sam on guitar, you on guitar, and me on guitar and vocals. And I... It got wet beyond repair, and there's um, there was a lot. There were a lot of those. Well, my, one of my favorite recordings that we did together was all on my own, which we did in a studio. All alone on Sunday morning. 
city with the windows wide and daylight shining free nobody there for me and I'm all on my own yes we did that in recording and that's a beautiful song you well, thank you. We did that at uh, Vince Ito's studio on West 54th Street. And uh, on the day that we recorded that, I don't know if you remember, but uh, uh, the Dovells had come in. The two remaining Dovells had come in. And they were doing I have no memory of that. Vince recorded Ovi's acts. He was making a living, I think, at the time. It's the first time I ran into Lou Christie, in fact, was it? Uh, Vinnie Odo's recording studio. So uh, Vinnie was a good was a good guy. Vinnie was good. That was a good room. That was a good room. Beautiful room. Yeah. Really, really cozy. And I I have you know you talk about memories. I I remember sitting at the keyboard and and in that room, in that cozy studio, laying down that track. And uh, it's a beautiful recording. We should play a little bit of that. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, it was a there's a there's great recall. I can remember what the room smelled like, and um, there was a, it, this bond that we had. Once that tape began to roll, we became joined in this uh, effort that would become eternal because it's now recorded for history. Uh, yes, yeah, so we were what, like seventeen years 17 old. Seventeen years old, we're just just kids, man, just kids. And uh, as kids will do, we were, of course, always devoted to rock and roll. And we were very excited about rock and roll and rhythm and blues and all of the hits of the day. And uh, when you get excited, you got to tell somebody about it, right? <laughs> yeah. This, do- this record is one of my fundamentally, you know, foundational, all-time favorite records. Tell him by the Exciters, written by Bert Burns, who we covered extensively. It, it, from 1962, it made it to number four on the UA label, and the B-side was Hard Way to Go, written by Van McCoy, by the way. Yes, Van, the hustle. Do the hustle. Mm-hmm. Now, the uh, Exciters were from Queens, so that's also, hey! right? We being from Queens, that makes this very exciting because it's Brenda Reed, Carolyn Johnson, Lillian Walker, and Sylvia Wilbur. And they, Don't forget Herb Rooney. Her, Herb Rooney. Unfortunately, the guy gets left out often. It happened in the Orleans as well with South Street. Yeah. Um, but they were... Yeah, nice, you're right, because it's considered a girl group. It is considered a girl um, group. And um, although uh, Herb Rooney has uh, his own story, and um, their kid, their kid, um, Corey... It's a huge songwriter and producer, Grammy winner. Well, Penny Carter left the group, and that's how Herb got the gig. So they decided to uh, add a male voice to the uh, to, to to the festivities. But and as you say, Brenda was the lead singer. Was the lead singer, uh, and they were originally called the Masters. Um, the Masterettes. The Masterettes, right. 
there was another because Herb Rooney was in the Masters. Was in the Masters, right? Right. So but we we're, we there was got, always a connection, and we have to give props to Herb Rooney. You know, these these Herb. It's, it's funny. These are these are figures within the uh, culture that we adore, that, that that pop music culture, and they're never spoken about. So uh, here's to Herb Rooney. They changed their name to the Exciters, and the first hit which was arranged by George Ticho Wiltshire and produced by Lieber and Stoller was, as you say, tell him. Burt Russell Burns had a capacity for production, and we've, we've told this story, as you say, in, in length, but we, there, there's not enough that can be said about Burt Burns. His discovery of uh, Van Morrison and uh, Neil Diamond, his ability to form a record company, uh, that allowed the McCoys and Hang On Sloopy, one of the most iconic records, to find an, a major audience going to number one. Although, yeah, and the fact that it was Burt Burns who wrote this song um, makes total sense because the Exciters never had another hit of this magnitude, and Burt obviously had a lot to do with it. But you know, it was originally recorded by a man named Gil Hamilton, and it was Tell Her. Something about love You gotta want it bad If that girl's got into your blood Go out and get her Or if you want her to be The very part of you That makes you wanna breathe Here's the thing to do Just tell her that you're never gonna leave her Tell her that you're always gonna love her Tell her, tell her, tell her, tell her right now did you, have you heard that record? No. By Gil Hamilton. Gil Hamilton. Who later called himself Johnny Thunder. Oh, oh, okay. Would you, are you talking about the... Okay, you're talking about the Johnny Thunder loop-de-loop. No, I'm talking about Tell Her, Yeah. Uh, which is the same song, and uh, the artist was named Gil Hamilton, and he later changed his name to Johnny Thunder. And it's on the Capitol label. Okay, the reason I'm confused is because the best version called Tell Her is the 1966 Dean Parrish, who I have given honorable mention to here. He passed away recently. Great northern soul singer who started at the Peppermint Lounge. Oh, yeah! Come on now! His 45 RPM uh, initial releases as a uh, great white rhythm and blues singer was Tell Her. Same song, yeah. but Tell Her. 
Yeah, so, tell her the original recording, Gil Hamilton. Gil Hamilton. So you got Gil Hamilton, you've got Dean Parrish. Um, the Here's book. an interesting story. That, sorry. Um, Dusty Springfield. Colony Records. Yes, the uh-huh. Colony Record Store. She credits hearing Brenda and uh, the, this this song and, and deciding to go solo. Well, that's almost as like the Brian Wilson story of Brian in the car in 63 hearing Be My Baby and right. understanding that this is what he needs to do for the rest of his life. And he has told that story so with such passion and frequency that I have no doubt that that is the recording that changed his life. Phil Spector and the Ronettes changed Brian Wilson's life and gave us this this genius performer. And here's an interesting tidbit. Jason Ankeny, writing for All Music website, he says this record boasted an intensity that signified a sea change in the presentation and perception of femininity in pop music, paving the way for the Shangri-Las and the Ronettes. So the high praise indeed for this record. Yeah, that is high praise. And when you consider that they only had one major recording uh, of consequence, it is a a feat that they have not been given more credit for being one of the initial girl groups. But... When you consider the Shirelles, uh, and when you consider the Cookies, and when you consider the number of classic girl groups that did exist at the time, Ruby and the Romantics, um, I don't think people were fixated on the idea that these were... uh, They weren't in the business to be feminists. They empowered women who were interested in popular music. In Dusty Springfield's case, uh, I can imagine she was looking for an inroad out of folk music. Right. And um, we, we did a podcast on the Shangri-Las, and they certainly were, uh, you know, so important in terms of uh, the power of the woman. Well, also of the teenager, because Mary mm-hmm. Weiss kicked the door down with yeah. with her performances of uh, Give Him a Great Big Kiss, Remember Walking in the Sand. Uh, and those shindig clips give you an idea as to who the audience was and just how deliberate the intentions were. Yeah, it's very powerful. And you, you had told me that uh, they opened for the Beatles for the Beatles' first North American tour in 64. So the exciters were making... A big impression. Oh yeah, they were making a, they were making a, a big impression, and they were getting they had good songwriting teams attempting to get them uh, material that would keep them in the limelight. They uh, recorded Doo Diddy before Manfred Mann before in '63. Yeah, yeah, and Ellie Greenwich and Tony Powers um, got them involved in Northern in, in what inevitably became Northern Soul. Uh, that recording blowing up my mind and uh, he's got the power and they also recorded as you say that you know that international hit that you know Manfred Mann had but everything had stopped once the British invasion came about so that's why you have the Moody Blues performing all of the 
all of these rhythm and blues masterpieces. Go now, yeah. Go now, uh, the Bessie Banks record. And then you've got the Hollies doing Doris Troy's Just One Look. It's not accidental that they are taking the songs of, uh, uh, of the day, particularly by female artists, and transforming them. But they put a lot of people out of work. They put a lot of well, there's a great story that in my research came up during that tour with the Beatles. Uh, when they got to Jacksonville, Florida, the the, the uh, promoters said they couldn't play at the Gator Bowl, and uh, the Beatles refused to perform if they didn't. And uh, so, you know, you don't think of the Beatles as uh, civil rights uh, forefront people, but uh, that was meaningful that that event because they became the first black musicians to perform at the Gator Bell. But was there, I had read something recently uh, regarding this, this issue as to the Beatles being credited with, um, having, Oh, you don't buy that? I'm not, I'm, I'm not saying I didn't buy it, but I've heard it spoken about other groups other than the Exciters. So I, I'm, I'm not sure what the real testimony is. And I don't think it's been recorded. I think Paul has mentioned it in passing uh, regarding their desire to not play segregated uh, audience, to, to segregated audiences. But I'm not okay. sure that that was the uh, the Jacksonville story. Is 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 it might be folklore? I don't believe it is, but I believe that the Beatles certainly had a sense of uh, of social empowerment about them. They knew exactly what they wanted to do and they weren't shy about it. Right. I mean, they certainly had that power. Um, it, you mentioned the Northern Soul thing. In 75, Brenda and Herb, uh, uh, alone together now, a married couple, they performed as the Exciters and they had a Northern Soul hit with Reaching for the Best. Yeah, reaching for the best didn't have any impact in the states, but was one of those records that found its way to the UK and was played endlessly at in those Northern Soul clubs. Um, and that's where a lot of those artists wound up tra traveling to. It's funny, the Beatles come here and they bring everybody and, and their brother and mother with them. And then American artists like Major Lance have to go over there in order to make a living. Yeah, yeah. So uh, and Howlin' Wolf and Muddy Waters. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I mean, but the, you know the the entire thing about you hear the stories of uh, of the Chess Brothers having sent Howlin' Wolf and Bo Diddley and Chuck Berry to do all those London sessions. 
because once they met the Rolling Stones, they knew what the future was, what it was going to look Absolutely. like. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's, I think, the first time I heard Howlin' Wolf was uh, uh, on an album with uh, Eric Clapton, um, where they were, you know, in England. Yeah, and there, there's... That's another story, I guess, because I've always found it disheartening that uh, white audiences had to be introduced to this music through other white people. So I at first yes, but you know, it's good that they, you know, however it got to us, uh, that they that, that they helped. Yeah, but they didn't prosper to the level that they that they could have prospered, which is why someone like Chuck Berry. Uh, was so frugal and demanded his monies up front. Oh, yes. A lot so of, angry. A lot of the artists that did not get approval uh, until someone like Bob Dylan would bring them into the gaslight, like Reverend Gary Davis or Dave Van Ronk bringing in, particularly Dave Van Ronk bringing in uh, black artists like Fred McDowell and Lance uh, Lance. I get I get his name off. Mance, Mance Lipscomb. It's Mance, correct? Mance. Mance, Mance yeah. Lipscomb. Howlin' Wolf and, of course, Lightning Hopkins. And I had seen these artists um, play in front of black-only audiences as I had seen a lot of my favorites perform in front of mostly black audiences at the Apollo Theater when I started going to the Apollo. Um, those experiences made me understand vividly the difference, the different worlds that, that we lived in. And uh, still, as we tell this, as I tell the story of listening to WWRL radio, New Jersey radio station that played records and uh, Frankie Crocker, Frankie Crocker and had to go to a particular little store off of the number seven train in it was Roosevelt Avenue. Flushing. Flushing, Queens, Roosevelt Avenue, only store that would carry that. But they played Mitch Ryder because they thought Mitch Ryder was black. So uh, there were confusions of the day. Taking All I Can Get, it was WWRL that played Taking All I Can Get. WMCA wouldn't touch it, even though Devil with a Blue Dress was number one. But Taking All I Can Get was too black. So this is going mm. back to the mid-60s, and uh, those issues were of... Uh, those those issues existed back then. So yes, the exciters. Leave it. 
So, so this record, as the Jarmels, a little bit of soap has a very important place in your heart. Yeah, it's one of the. It's probably uh, I probably discovered it in that same box. It's it's Cindy's house. That's right. She was a. She was. <laughs> she she loved the oldies shows. She had some good music in there. Yes, she did. Yes, she did. I still. I told you I still have a couple of singles that I borrowed from her, where her name is. She wrote her name on the label. Oh, I didn't know that. Yes, yes, yes. What are they? Yes. Do you remember? I do not remember. I would have to go back. I did. Okay. Recall. Tell me later. Yeah, I'll. I'll. I will. I will look back and, and find. I think. Oh, the Jive Five, my true story. Okay. Yeah. Is one cool. One. Yeah, the Jive Five, and we went to see the Jive Five. You, Cindy, and myself, at the Nassau Coliseum. And she wrote her name on the label. She wrote her name on the label. Yeah. The Nassau Coliseum. That was a big night. That was a big. Send night. me a picture of that. I will do that, my friend. And that will get you excited, right? The good old days, high school. Because I know something about love. Yes, you do, my friend. You gotta want it bad. <laughs> I like the way I like that delivery. But then again, you are you are a master thespian, so. How could I not appreciate the delivery? Thank you so much. Ladies and gentlemen, you have been listening to Put on a Stack of 45s, the show that brings you a 45 RPM of note. And uh, we hope that we've either introduced this to you or reminded you of the exciters and tell him, and also known as tell her. And uh, we hope it's been a groove, man. And we're in 2022, and we have a lot of other artists we will focus on. Please remember to catch Captain Billy's Magic 8-Ball on Dig This, uh, where the captain digs into his 8-track archive and delivers insights that you will hear nowhere else. He is able What's to- coming up on Captain Billy? Oh, it's a secret. It's a secret. Okay. All right. I'll accept that. We have to have some secrets. We have to, we have to, we have to keep th- some things. We have to keep some surprises in the new year. Because without surprise, what is life? Do you know people who like to read? My wife does this all the time. She will not watch anything until she reads the entire review of the movie and knows everything about the movie or the book. She needs to know everything about it before she sees it or reads it. Well, I, I like to know a little bit, but not so much that, uh, that you know, I'm spoiling it. She wants to know the ending. I mean, she needs to know the ending. No, I don't like. I don't want to know the ending. So she doesn't like surprises. She doesn't. It's curious. So, but surprises are nice. So you'll get surprised because what we do is Billy offers his insights, and then we play the entire album, not just one forty-five, but the entire album in high definition. It's Captain Billy's Magic Eight Ball available right now on Dig. There are some sweet ones. I just re-listened to. Uh... The Elton John uh, version of Tumbleweed Connection. Wow. Fantastic. Did you listen to the entire two hours? I did. Pretty I good did. stuff. We offer the incredible deluxe edition in this particular episode, wherein you will hear unheard tracks from the Tumbleweed sessions. And uh, good stuff. Very good stuff. And you have this amazing ability to condense your thoughts and uh, uh, opinions and how this recording, what it represented to you and what you feel it might represent to others. And you were able to do it in a format 
of a 45 RPM single. You keep these things most of the time under three minutes, which I find remarkable. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I can barely introduce myself in under three minutes, <laughs> but you're able to go through an entire life-changing work. I could probably ask you to do a piece on the wall, and you'd probably be able to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I'm sure I could. Yes, you could. You could. In, in three minutes, you'd give me the whole deal and what the value is and uh, the currency of it. You're, you're very insightful and uh, very wise. And, oh, well. and Bill, talent, talented, God bless you. God bless you. You're talented. You're a talented man. So my friend Bill Mesnick in California, Rich Buckland here in Florida, we shall be back with another episode of Put on a Track, uh, Put on a Stack of 45s. We hope you had a very happy New Year and a Merry Christmas and a great Thanksgiving and a good Halloween. We hope last February was okay, March, you know, but it's a new year, new times, new surprises. We'll see you soon. Say goodbye to the kids. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.